0: So welcome to chapter one. What will we tell Jesus we did with our lives? Now, this is a a very personal thing for me because of the story that I opened the, the chapter with, which is I was at jet skiing with a bunch of friends one day. I was 30 years old. I think it was 30. I was on a jet ski going through the crowded Columbia River when I remember thinking, having this thought, gee, there's an awful lot of boats out here and everyone's drinking and Maybe being on a jet ski in a crowded river isn't a very smart thing when right then, kabam, someone hit me from the side on a jet ski, um, launched my jet ski, totaled it, and I ended up in the water. And as, as I was in the water, I had a life jacket on, but I've seen enough trauma as an LA policeman where I realized I was gonna pass out any minute. I knew I was gonna be bleeding internally from the impact and I would drown with my head down. And so I found his jet ski and I crawled up on it and um, he was able to get off find my friends on a boat, come back. I was floating in the water there for quite some time, get to the emergency room. Um, and it was kind of a humorous thing. I mean, I even noticed the humor in it at the time, but as I'm waiting in the emergency room, the nurse just wouldn't take me seriously. The, the, and I kept telling her I'm, I'm bleeding internally. I think I'm dying. And uh, she just, half an hour, taking all these people with sniffles in and finally they bring me in and the doctor puts me on a gurney and starts feeling around and all of a sudden he screams, this man is bleeding internally. He might be dying. And I'm like, that's what I'm trying to tell you people. But um, bring me in for a CAT scan, come back out, waiting for the CAT scan up things. I think you've ruptured your liver and if you've ruptured more than 40% of it, you have five hours to live. And I said, well, how will I, how will I know? He said, well, your body will poison itself to death and he left the room. So for an hour, I sat there thinking, do I feel myself poisoning myself to death? And in four or five hours, I might be looking Jesus face to face. And that suddenly has a different effect. I'd faced death many times as an LA policeman, but it was always in a hail of bullets and adrenaline and all that stuff. Laying on a gurney was a whole different ballgame. And lying there thinking, what am I going to tell Jesus when I see, see him? It was interesting because I had been raised really Reformed Baptist-ish, so I really had never heard about crowns and rewards and the results of your life. It had ground into my, my soul that good works count for nothing, don't try to do good works, just you said the prayer and you're in the club and that's it. And that was my theology, but I'd read scripture As you heard on the last episode, for now, at 30 years old, it had been 18 years of diligently reading God's Word, and I knew it very well. But the the idea never really struck me that what we did with our lives mattered. So here I am, staring death in the face, or I thought so, thinking, what am I gonna tell Jesus when I get to heaven? Which was not any part of the theology that I knew. You see, in my head, ringing around with 2 Corinthians 5.10, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to be judged for the deeds we did in this body, whether good or worthless. Now that that wasn't part of my theology, and that, that verse is written to Christian. So the doctor comes in after an hour and says, Good news, dude. You uh he literally called me dude. Well, you're good news, dude. Um, You ruptured your kidney and not your liver and tells me I broke all my ribs and all this kind of stuff. But uh, I ended up in being in the hospital for several days and, and peeing blood, which I found is what happens when you bleed internally. And then all my joints turn black and blue everywhere because the blood that was in your system that's not in veins has to find somewhere to go and it finds the easiest place, which is your joints. So I looked terribly black and blue for like a month until it worked itself out. You know, but the two things that really struck me as I laid on that gurney were... I had lived a polite Christian life. When I got to the judgment seat of Christ and Jesus said, what did you do with what I gave you? I was going to have to say, not much. When Jesus said, who was clothed because of you? Who was fed because of you? Who was converted from the hands of Satan into the hands of the Holy Spirit because of you? And I had lived the good Christian life. I was married. Never cheated on my wife. was a police officer, highly decorated. I'd done all the right things. I went to church. I went to Bible study. But what impact had my life made on the world? Well, that was an interesting thing to be thinking about when I was on that gurney because it didn't align with my theology. The other thing was, because I knew God's Word really well, in a moment of trauma, all the verses that I needed came flooding back. See, so all that investment of time into knowing God's Word, came back in a huge way. Now it wasn't a comforting way because I was thinking I might go to, to heaven and find that I would lived a life that was wanting, but God gave me another chance. And you may be asking yourself right now, as you look through your life and go, well, wait a minute, if I was laying on that gurney, if I was on the plane and it was going down, what would I be thinking? How would my life measure up? That's what this book is about. So let's get right into scripture. So Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says if we're saved by grace through faith, and this not of ourselves, that there's nothing we can boast about in our salvation, it is completely and totally according to the Lord. And we'll say that many times because as we go through this, if you came from my biblical tradition, you may start to struggle. Wait a minute, is he saying salvation is by works? Of course, I'm not at all, and I never will, but it still gets to be hard if you come from a certain tradition. Salvation is only by faith through God's grace. Jesus said, if you want to be saved, you need to be born again through belief, real belief in John chapter three, that is salvation. But it's Ephesians 2.8 and 9 that says that. And then Ephesians 2.10, the very next verse, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which were prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Before what? Before our life, probably before the foundations of time, You and I were gifted specifically to carry out a mission that God gave us to do. So God has a mission that he laid down at the beginning of time for you. He predestined that mission, and he's gifted you to do that mission. One of the problems we find, aside from that truth, is how often are we trying to do some other mission? And we in America, we value greatly fame and best-selling books and running big ministries and the guy we see on the video when jesus says in luke sixteen fifteen 15 that when man finds highly valued god finds repugnant the things that we think are valuable are not valuable to him now if that's your call it is valuable but your call may be to be the best small business owner there could be it may be to be the best mother or father you could be you know malachi chapter 3 says that god wants godly offspring people who love him. One of the greatest things we can do in our mission on this earth is to raise godly children. And so as you listen to this, it's it's in kind of the Americanized version of, well, gosh, I, who am I? I, I don't do the famous thing. God's not asking you to do the famous thing. He's asking you to do the thing that he has for you to do and that he gifted you to do. And those things are all equally viable. Um, I've, I've told the story a few times. I don't think I've told it on this. St- And I may tell it a couple of times, but um, Jay Vernon McGee, the great pastor from inner city, uh, Los Angeles, who grew up in Tennessee, and he's got that great accent and preached years ago. Um, He has a story he tells about a pastor, a famous pastor who dies and goes to heaven, and Jesus brings him out to his mansion. And he pulls up in front of this huge mansion, and the pastor in his heart's thinking, oh, yeah, this looks like the kind of mansion I would have because I'm pretty awesome. You know, I sold all these books, and I had a huge church, and on and on. And and Jesus corrects him. Oh no, no, this isn't your mansion. This mansion belongs to the widow Mahoney. And uh, he says, "Who's the widow Mahoney?" And Jesus says, "Well, she went to your church for forty years, but you never knew her. You never talked to her." Oh, okay. And then they drive way out to the suburbs, this little cottage, and Jesus says, "Well, there's your mansion." And the pastor is angry and can't believe it. And I was this, and I was that, and I did all these things, and. And Jesus said, oh, well, you'd understand. See, the reason you had the best-selling book and the huge church and that effective ministry was because of the widow Mahoney's prayers. It really had nothing to do with you. See, we, we value the person that we see, the big person, but yet we tend to not value the things that God values so much. He values people of prayer and people of humility and people who pursue Him with everything in them. The people who carry out the mission for which He gave them. And you'll know it because when you're in God's will, you feel peace and inner um, peace that comes from just from Him, that you know you're doing the right thing. So if you're a great mom, then be a great mom. If you're a great small business owner, then be that. If you're a great cop or fireman or a plumber, Be that, seek the Lord and carry out the mission that he gave you to do. But we do see he gave you a mission to do. And the lie that we have so much is that you said the magic prayer and that there's nothing left for you to do. So just wait wait to, to get out of here. Just wait to go to heaven. And that is exactly what Satan wants you to do. Instead, Jesus said, now that you've been born again, you're a baby and you're a baby that needs to grow up. And you're a baby that needs to grow up into a man and do man things or woman things. Be who God created you to be. And Jesus warns us in Matthew 24. The one he comes back and finds serving him, he'll put in charge of all his things. But the one he comes back and finds not serving him, but serving himself, will be thrown into the outer darkness. Let's make sure that we're the ones that Jesus comes back and finds serving him. Okay, so we know that we'll be rewarded. How will we be rewarded? Well, this book's going to go into a lot of things, but preliminarily, let's go into some of them. And I've written a little summary here on page 11. He speaks of our being rewarded in, number one, that we'll receive crowns. There are five crowns that we're going to get into later that we can earn. We really want those crowns. Paul said, I really want those crowns. And if Paul wanted them, then I suspect that you and I should want them too. Number two, we can become co-heirs with Christ. All believers are heirs with Christ, but not all believers are co-heirs with Christ. There's two different things. If I, and we'll get into this later, but if I... Um, have a will and I leave a bunch of my stuff and I leave my baseball card set not that I have one but a baseball card set to Jim then Jim is an heir of mine I gave him my baseball card set but my kids they get my estate they're going to get all of it and share it equally they are co-heirs they have a special status that's the idea here so we may receive crowns we can become co-heirs with Christ we can reign with him Jesus said to the one who perseveres I will pull up under my throne at my father's right hand. What does that mean? He'll reign with me at my father's right hand. And there's many other promises to reign with him, which we'll get into later. We'll be invited to the wedding feast of the lamb. Jesus says, blessed is he who's invited to the wedding feast of the lamb. That's something that we have to do by our life here. Not everyone is invited to the wedding feast. Number five, we'll be personally congratulated by the father, man. I want that. And I know you do too. It's not just the, the idea of the son saying, well done, good, and faithful servant. There's that too. And that's amazing. But the father himself will congratulate us. And lastly, we'll receive a nickname from the father that only he and we know. I mean, how awesome is that, that, you know, the father has something that we're known for. And, uh, you know, back in the LAPD, uh, we had a specialized unit that I was on. They were called the gunfighters. And I remember when chief Gates saw me, he was being hounded after Rodney King by all the press running by him. And he looked over me because it was gunfighter. And I remember that feeling of the guy, the King, Chief Gates of the LAPD, recognizing me and having a special nickname, gunfighter. It was such a cool feeling. Well, imagine the feeling of the creator of the universe having a special name that he calls you. Not everyone's going to get that. Just the people who have earned that right. And again, we'll get into all this in detail. And we'll give you all the scriptures so that you know exactly what we're talking about here. As we, as I said in the introduction, you don't care about my opinion. I don't care about my opinion. We care about the Word of God. In uh, Proverbs 18, 2, it says that uh, a wise man values um, knowledge, but a fool just wants to spout his opinion. I I think that's, uh, hopefully, I'm not going to spout my opinion in this. There's common themes of those who are rewarded. We're going to get into this a lot, too, as we go along. There's an inclination in modern evangelical christianism that somehow the one who knows the most knowledge is the most godly and the one who can win the arguments and the one who sits in his library surrounded by many leather bound books, the small of mahogany, um, this is an Egerman reference, uh, is the, is the most holy. I was just talking to a pastor who I, I really like. He, he's got a great ministry. He's very intellectual. Um, he wears a bow tie. You have to be smart to wear a bow tie. and. Um, he's a younger guy. And then I encouraged him. I said, listen, guys like you who are intellectuals tend to want to sit in your library, surrounded by your books. If you do that, you'll end up isolated. You'll end up very sure of yourself because you're not challenging yourself and you'll end up being useless in the kingdom of heaven. You need to find people who disagree with you and sharpen yourself in grace and in patience with them. If you have something to teach, be patient. If you have something to learn, listen, And he took that advice gratefully, but I'll tell you, there's a stumbling block in Christendom that somehow, um, it's all about studying your Bible. It is not studying your Bible is important. Going out and doing what you studied is what's about. We see that the Christian life is about action, not sitting around thinking. So we see common themes of those who will be rewarded obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Perseverance. We will see that over and over and over in scripture, persevere, persevere, persevere. How many people have walked with the Lord for a time, even done great things, but had a bad ending? Boy, I've known a lot of them. The one who perseveres, Jesus said, will be the one I pull up onto my throne. Number three, suffering. If you love Jesus, if you are a disciple, if you are going after him with everything in you, you will suffer pain. Even Hebrews says that Christ learned obedience to his Father through suffering. If Jesus had to learn obedience in his flesh through suffering, so will you and I. We're promised it. Number four, humility. I've said this before, humility is a sign of a man or a woman who's in love with Jesus. Humility is a sign of a person who's in love with Jesus. You find some me someone who's arrogant, I will show you someone who doesn't understand what he's been saved from. Humility or lack of pride. And I'll say that too. Um, humility can be faked by people. They they fake fake pious. They have a a way about them. Lack of pride is what you want to look for, and that means I don't have to be on stage. I don't need to be have things on me. I'm content to sit quietly in a room while other people talk. Other people get the glory. That's humility. Number five, overcoming. Hugely important overcoming this world we're gonna get into that too in this book that overcoming the temptations of this world and the temptations we always go oh it's sex no actually sometimes the biggest temptations are the need for security security safety trying to have my little nest and make sure nothing gets in my nest boy overcoming means boldly taking on evil while we see it with patience and grace even if it costs us and it will cost you Overcoming this world and the temptations of this world, faithfulness and love. And love ties them all together and it's required for the others to have value. If you don't have love, then all the rest of it's pointless. But uh, I would argue you can't really truly have the rest of them unless you really do, do have Christian love. In Revelation 2, we'll talk a lot about the the seven letters to the churches from Jesus in Revelation 1 through 3. In Revelation 2, in the first letters to Ephesus, the book of Ephesians was written to the church of Ephesus. And, and Jesus has a bunch of really good things to say to the people of Ephesus, but he has one thing against them, one correction. You've lost your first love. Boy, I tell you, guard that with everything in you. Guard losing your first love Um, with Jesus guard losing it with your spouse too, if you're married, but I'll tell you what, and I make this point in the book, if you were forced to do everything with somebody all the time, talk to them multiple times a day, go to the movies they want to go to like the sports team or the sporting thing that they like to have, listen to the music they like, um, on and on and on just somebody, it would be torture unless you're in love with them. If you're in love with them, it's a delight because you delight in sharing things with them. Well, that's how it is with God. We delight in the things he delights in because we're in love with God. Don't lose that love. And you know, people say things will become mundane. They don't have to. I can tell you after 33 years of marriage, I I still have a huge crush on my wife and I can't wait to see her every day. We can be that way, but it takes diligence. It takes... really working at our love so that it doesn't fade. We're here not to know more things about God, but to know God. We wanna fall in love with Jesus Christ. There's always gonna be that temptation, especially we all come from a different background. And for some of us, there's a temptation to kind of prove to God how much we love him. Boy, avoid that temptation, just love him. And the, the love that you have for him will come out of him. One of the things we want to do is show him how much we love him by how much we sacrifice. And, and and Jesus says to obey is better than sacrifice. God doesn't want you to make yourself miserable. He wants you to obey his word. And that's what we're going to get into a lot here today and what that matters and how that matters. Cling to your first love, like you would cling to the first love you have of your spouse. So as I close with the story, we have the story about the, the jet ski and me learning the point of the Christian walk. Well, I did the best I could, and I made a lot of advancements in growth. But time came when I retired from business. Um, I really, through the grace of the Lord, had had done well, and had retired at the old age of 44. And I was going to do the American dream of, once you've made it, doing nothing, because I thought that's what I was supposed to do. And I was going to read all the books. All the great Christian books, which I got to, and it was great. I read um, Calvin's Institutions and Luther's Bondage of the Will, and I read um, oh, C- City, on, City of God by August Augustine, and you know all that great stuff. But the Lord got a hold of me one day in a in a major way. So I was in my closet praying one day. Not that I'm so holy that I always pray in my closet, but I happened to be in my closet praying at this particular time with the lights off, just really fervently seeking the Lord. You know, it says in James that um, the fervent prayers of a righteous person avail much. And um, I I take this as a great responsibility, fervently pouring myself out before the Lord, because it seems to change history with um, some people. And I really want to grasp onto that promise. So there I was praying when all of a sudden Lord came to me in this very vivid way. And I heard his voice. I'd never heard him speak to me like this before. All of a sudden I just heard him say, Ken, I did not put you through everything I did and teach you everything I did. So you could ski and hike for the rest of your life, which was my plan. And, um, I was shocked, startled. And I said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And he said, are you willing to be as ambitious for my kingdom as you were for your kingdom? And then it came with this warning of "Be careful of your answer; it'll cost you your life." And I started to wrestle with the Lord. I mean, I remember saying, "Lord, I know that where I'm at is because of you, but I don't, I don't want to have to lead people anymore. I don't want to get stabbed in the back anymore. I don't want to get sued and fire people. I'm so sick and tired of all that, and I feel like I've earned the right to take it easy for a while." It was a, a, a struggle, and um. The Lord said that's okay but you missed my full blessing. And then I had this now I was very versed in the judgment seat very versed in the judgment seat of Christ. And I had this vision of my life in my little ranch that I was looking at buying and um, it was a very nice little life. But then I was seen at the judgment seat of Christ, what would have happened had I fully obeyed the impact that would have occurred in people's lives. And I had weeping and gnashing of teeth because of that. And by the way, weeping and gnashing of teeth in the Near East means weeping sorrow, gnashing of teeth, anger. It, we, we tend to put that into going cast into hell and pain. That's not the case. Weeping and gnashing of teeth means weeping and, and anger at a wasted life. And I had that. just oh my gosh, I wasted all that God gave me. Basically, I was being given the choice of, were you going to carry out the mission I had for you at the beginning of time, or are you not? And I still wrestled with him for two hours. It was not a light decision, because I didn't know what cost your whole life meant exactly. And I wasn't sure I wanted to know. After two hours, I said, Lord, you know me, you know my heart, and you know whatever you want is yours. And he said, I'll tell you what I have for you when you're ready and I didn't hear from him again for four years. So, being a type A type of a guy, um, suddenly reading the books and skiing and hiking wasn't as fulfilling as it was. I had this mission that God had put out there for me, and what was it? And he wasn't telling me. I've learned that God's favorite word is weight, by the way. Um, I'll get into that in a minute, but I went to my wife, who is really a, a prayer warrior, and I said, Elliot, um, yeah, I had this thing, and, It'd been like a year. I don't know what God wanted me to do. And she said, Ken, I keep praying for you and I keep getting the same word, wait. I'm like, I don't like that word. Can you come up with a different word? Now wait was the word. So finally I took a thermos full of coffee and a sandwich and I hiked up to the top of this mountain in Colorado and I sat there in the morning and I said, Lord, I'm gonna sit here and read my little New Testament with the Psalms in it. And I'm going to eat my sandwich and drink my coffee and watch the sun come up. And I'm not leaving here until you tell me what we were talking about that day in my closet. And I remember saying, Lord, um, if the sun goes down and it gets cold, out, I don't know what I'm going to do. But I'm going to sit here like a spoiled child until you talk to me. So I opened up the Bible and I looked. And the first thing I came to was Psalm 27:14, Wait on the Lord, be patient and strong and wait on the Lord. And so I just started laughing. And I thought, okay, well, thank you, Lord. You gave me an answer in five seconds. <laughs> and uh it really did feel like the lord and i were sitting there laughing and he was just saying ken i got my plan for you i won't go into all the rest of that it's not for this book or this story but the lord's mission has come true and it has been an amazing call and it's been great um i will say that as a free bonus it's not in the book but There's a voice of Satan and the voice of the Holy Spirit. And we were all born, every one of us, naturally understanding and hearing the voice of Satan because we were born as children of Satan in sin. And so that voice we've heard on the outside. And if you really learn to listen, you'll know it's not you. There's a lot of things that things pop in your head that you think is you but it's not you. And you can learn to know the voice of Satan and then learn to know the voice of the Holy Spirit through a couple of different ways. First of all, the Holy Spirit's voice is quiet. And we, we learned that with the voice, with the life of Elijah. It's quiet and gentle. And it's harder because we're not instinctively there to hear it. You have to be walking in the Lord to really, truly hear the Lord. And I'll say this. The voice of Satan is always in a hurry. Go, 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 go. You need to get it now. You need to buy that car now. You need to buy that house now. Someone else is going to buy it. You better hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. And the, the voice of the Lord's favorite word is wait wait child i'm doing a whole bunch of stuff i'm moving lots of pieces together and by the way you yourself aren't even ready yet so just hang on and we'll get there in my time it's hard for especially if you're type a like i am number two the voice of of satan always elevates self it's always about your ego and the voice of the Lord is always elevating the Lord Jesus Christ, which means it always results in your humility. I can't tell you how many people come to me and say, I heard from God, and and the next sentence is how they're going to be great. I'm supposed to do this. I'm supposed to, you need to give me money. I need to be the big man. That is never the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Never. I'll repeat it again. Never. God's voice is always about humility, humble, wait, patience. The last thing is, and you might have guessed this when the, Satan's voice always brings anxiety. It always brings in you this thing. I got to hurry up and move. I got to be the big man. They better look at me. They better worship me. I got to buy this. I'm going to go into debt. How dare my wife say that to me? Always brings anxiety and division and the voice of the Holy Spirit always brings peace and unity. Well, I just added that little piece at the end of chapter one of the book, but hopefully that was a blessing for you. And um, I'm looking forward to going over chapter two with you next.